So I get super uh, excited about ecclesiology okay. because nobody else does. So I feel like I have to. Uh, but also because like there's no, like I made the statement last week, but there's like absolutely no good comprehensive books on the church today in like the 19th century uh, that I know of. Um, there might be one out there, but like a comprehensive book would be like there's so many different facets and aspects of the church is like starting with the institution and uh you know as we go through this article like the community and the government the commitment uh the unity among churches like all that's part of like the study of the church and ecclesiology um and you know i get super excited about it is because just in the christianity that i was raised in was like super low church uh and like low expectation, high individualism, uh, you know, kind of ideas. Like, I actually like for a while after I studied like you know liturgy, I was like, man, I wonder if I should become a Catholic because that would be awesome if we could have like some uh, incense and we could wear robes and stuff. <laughs> like what? Uh, so, anyways, we're going to continue going through. Uh, use David Cornfield's. What Makes the Kingdom of God Visible in Our Lives article, which is a super good article to uh, try to just keep moving in and out. <laughs> um, uh, to just open up the, your, the door and the ideas to these, like, uh, like when we talked last week about the church as the institution, that was like just like an introductory paragraph in like a thousand page book that you could write. Uh, on just what the institutional church is and how important it is and how serious Christ took it and how uh, that's God's main mode of operating uh, on the earth today and it's plan A. So, like, all of these are designed to just, like, give you an idea, hopefully get you interested, and then just, like, study it further. Um, Especially, I think, what would help on most of these points, if not all of them, because uh, I haven't pressed this out besides thinking about it uh, once or twice, as, you know, what I'm trying to do uh, just for my own personal gain is, uh, or goals or whatever, is listen or read to the through the entire book of Acts seven days a week throughout uh, January. Um, and most of the time I'm just listening to it on audio while I'm working or doing the dishes or whatever. Uh, and it's been, like, highly, highly beneficial and I'll like think of ideas like I'll just as I'm listening I'm gonna look for the idea of like community and how the early church operated um, or I'll look through the idea of like uh, you know evangelism or from some idea like as I listen to it every day I'm trying to identify a different subject or topic uh, to keep my eyes or ears peeled while I'm doing that so uh, you know especially as far as community the book of Acts, re-examining the early church and um, how they were doing that, I think would be beneficial for most. So let's get into this. I actually uh, haven't read this paragraph on the article in like a week. I just started making an outline uh, because his introduction in the article 
is obviously smaller and less comprehensive than what we're doing the side study on it. So let's figure it out. Let's go this way this week, Josiah. Okay. Uh, the kingdom of God is made visible in community. Let's see. Uh, can a loving community be seen into his loving community? Yeah, so that's pretty good. Um, he hits he a few uh, main ideas as far as Christ reigning and the visibility of that and how that benefits individuals. So, um, you know, my hope and goal in this kind of side study off of that is, uh, you know, the more I study the church and what it is and its goals and God's plans for the church and how he's going to use the church and what the church is and what the church is not and different aspects uh, I'm going to use the same illustration I showed Deanna. Like, uh, this entire Bible, up and down, is like 100% God's view of the church. Like, that's his, like, you know, this would be like 100%. Like, currently, like in American Christianity, we're like right down here, like almost at the bottom. Maybe, like, if I had to quantify it, like 2 to 3% of our vision for the church. And I'm trying to raise our vision today to like 4%. But the more you read the Bible, holistically as a whole, um, all of it, and you see God's idea of community and God's idea of the church, uh, you'll get closer to the reality of the fact, right? Uh, So my whole purpose with this is just to, in the idea of community, to raise our vision of the church and God's expectations and how God wants to bless us and how he wants to use community and what he's going to do in community and that. Um, Because most of us, like, you know, I've hung out with just about everybody in this room, either one-on-one or in a small group, and we have, like, a pretty good community, right? So we have, like, you know, we could say we have, like, something to boast about because uh, we might even be able to say, like, you know, compared to a lot of modern uh, Christian groups or, you know, we could say groups on campus or churches that we have, like, pretty high community. Uh, But, like, if we compare ourselves to Scripture... We're like way, way far away. We have a lot of growth. Uh, So we don't have a lot to be proud of because we're not quite there yet. Uh, But we do have a lot that the Lord's using, and we're thankful for that. So um, starting on this extra handout that I made, uh, the next most visible representation of the kingdom of Christ after the institutional church is seen in our communities of Christians interacting with each other. Uh, community is being defined as the interactions inside and outside the institutional church walls between individuals, families, and other churches. Um, something that, uh, you know, I made the joke last week, but uh, it's kind of a joke, but it's not really. Words mean things. Uh, and what I love, like the best books always start with like defining the terms and uh, not just the terminology, but words and what they're talking about. Uh, Because we do live in a culture today where secular humanists are particularly trying to redefine words to mean different things. So we have to define the words, right? Uh, You know, I just read, or I just started reading an an apologetics book uh, where it went through like 30 different definitions of words that I have to try to keep in my mind or go back to as I read it, because <laughs> like some of them are like, well, that's not what I would have instantly thought when he used this word, so if I come across it or he's talking about it, I'm going to have to 
go back and read the definition, or else I'm not going to get what he's talking about, right? So uh, we're just saying that community is any interaction between Christians, uh, you know, and that gets more specific in local churches. So that could be, so right from there, from the start, you could say uh, someone could have a high view of community where community is like, I see, like, we're super into community. Uh, I go to Wednesday and Sunday church. I see people from the church like two hours a week. Like, that's pretty radical. <laughs> I mean, I could be playing video games on Wednesdays or something, right? Uh, or, you know, you can go as far as like, you know, uh, monks who spend 24-7 in community. There is no such thing as not community all the time, interacting with other Christians. Like, right? That's uh, So I just wanted to find that, you know, it's just any interaction uh, you can you look at it on a sliding scale of more or less, and that that would probably be the next most visible thing inside and outside that, that you would see, and uh, at others, non-believers would see as far as like the church uh, or the kingdom of God. Um, I think David Cornfield did a good job of organizing these. So let's uh, just put some background behind it. We're going to continue and uh, Morgan, I'm going to have you read Matthew 6.10, uh, Kyle, John 18.36, and then, you know, just we're going to keep going on that next line with Sam, uh, Exodus, just just follow along and uh, try to pick up the Bible verses as we go. Uh, the second one, John 18.36. So any of you got it, Morgan, you just go ahead. So I'll just give a little bit of context. So this is like actually part of the Lord's Prayer when Jesus is reciting it to his disciples. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he is me. Yeah. Uh, I really hope I got most of these uh, citations correct. <laughs> I was just thinking, I was like, was it 610 or 11? Uh, so good, we got it right. Um, so... This is all about making the kingdom visible, how the kingdom is coming, how we're going to see it, how others are going to see it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? The kingdom is coming to the earth. There is that precedent. Right? We're not going to delay a whole lot of background. Uh, but I did want to point some things out. So Kyle, John 18, 36. Okay. <coughs> Jesus answered... My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Uh oh, I thought like I thought the kingdom is coming to the world, so so what does he mean? What are, what are what's the implementation or implications that we get? Uh that my kingdom is not of this world. If it was of this world, my servants would have fought for me and they would have protected me. But my kingdom is not of this world. I thought we were making this whole argument that the kingdom of God is coming to this world. It is going to be visible. It is going to be manifest. It's not going to be geopolitical. Right. It's not going to be geopolitical. It's not going to be, he's not going to reign, Christ isn't going to reign in a seat in a castle somewhere. It's kind of a reclaimment in a way because the kingdom on earth was supposed to be like a is his already, but it's just started to rebel. Right. So I'm trying to make the whole point that like it's uh, the kingdom of God is not pietistic, 
not merely intellectual, not merely a belief, but it is like the whole idea is that we are going to, it's going to be manifest and visible. It's not like some idea. We're going to see it in tangible, quantifiable ways. Uh, so when he says my kingdom is not of this world, part of that is like he's just simply not saying we're not going to be contained in a region. Uh, my authority is from the Father in heaven, and my kingdom is going to come over all the world. If you look at that in Isaiah, Psalm 2, uh, you know, Isaiah 9, uh, Isaiah 11, and Habakkuk, it's all over the place, right? So uh, still doing a review from last week. Uh, you know, we are going to be, we are called to be a, a nation within a nation, a city within a city, uh, people among a people. Um, and I added a couple different things in there from last week. Uh, Sam and Amber, then can you guys grab Exodus 19.5 and 1 Peter 2.9. Uh, Bethany, can you grab Matthew 5.12-16? And then John Lee, can you grab all those Hebrews? And uh, Dan, can you grab Ephesians two thirteen through twenty two? Sure. Yeah. So before we go on to John Luke, uh, talking about like being a city of people united together in one king, in one purpose, uh, for you know under one head. And specifically in those Matthew passages, like, what are the implications of, like, what's going to happen as we be salt and light? If you have to look at it again, Matthew 5, 12 through 16, uh, what does that, like, mean? John, did you have your hand up? No? That's true, but like, what are the uh, as we're salt and light? What are like? What's the next part of the verses, like fifteen and sixteen of Matthew, uh, that people are going to see? That's uh, going to be visible, and then when then what's going to happen? They're going to see our light shine, good works, and then give glory to God. Yeah, right. Like, hey. Well, before it says you're sitting on a hill and cannot be hid. Right. We don't put uh, you know a lamp. You don't light a lamp and put it under a basket. Right, is what he says, but you put it on a stand so that it gives light to all in the house. Um, like that, like it's supposed to be visible. Like even if we like tried to contain it, we couldn't. Like there's, uh, but we don't see that in American culture right now, do we? Uh, what do we see as far as like uh, Christian culture pervading into the nations of the Americanized church? Yeah. So, what do maybe? What are some examples or they like? Judge you on the outside, but they can't judge you on the inside. Right. So. Like the whole, whole idea of Christian leaders stepping out and saying that they're supportive of homosexuality and things like that. Yeah. Like even as far as like you know good works, like uh, like the church isn't known for its good acts and deeds in America. No. At least that's not the first thing I would think of. I don't know if anybody else would. We're, well, judging we're not supposed to judge others. We're supposed to 
supposed to judge righteous judgment, but it's a bunch of hogwash. They think it's fairy tales. Yeah, and I think we give them credit for that because we're not doing, we're not being salt and light, as as Matthew tells us, right? If uh, yeah, the most American people who aren't associated with Christianity would think that Christians are silly. Uh, it's just there's no reason why Christianity is different than Islam or Buddhism or atheism or or a lot of other things, uh, which I hope to make a case later as to why. Uh, Christianity is the only worldview and religion that can have true community um, for a couple reasons, but we'll get into that later. So, uh, so that's our calling. So the problem is like, uh, that's it. Why aren't we doing it? How do we do it? What's it supposed to look like? And where do we go from here? Right? I don't think it's a. Uh, we don't have to spend like a terrible amount of time reviewing and like getting into like, you know, we're a city within a city and everything, but uh, I'm gonna have John Luke read the the Hebrews passages and then and then Dan. Did I have you read grab Ephesians? Yes, sir. Okay. Let's have John Luke do those at Hebrews passages and then we'll skip that revelation and go to go to Ephesians. So we're fellow citizens and saints, right? That's a that's a city word. That's a kingdom word. That's a membership word. So John Luke, uh, go ahead with us Hebrews verses. Okay. All these died in faith offerings, and we are seeking the city which is to come. Yeah, especially uh, uh, just to give because if you're listening carefully, where Hebrews twelve. Uh, or Hebrews 13, that last one says we don't have a lasting city. Uh, that's probably most likely talking about Jerusalem because they just said we came to the heavenly Jerusalem. And he's writing to the Hebrews. So it could sound a little conflicting if he says, like, oh, we have the city, we have this heavenly city, and it seems pietistic. But the lasting, not the city that isn't going to last is Jerusalem because it's going to get destroyed in a couple of years. Um, so all these are like the, the idea of like a city, of a citizen, of a group of people interacting in a society together as Christians operating counterculture to the culture that they're in in order to bring about the glory of God, right? So uh, like just keep that like in, as far as community and those ideas of being in the city uh, as, we, as we go through this. So, um, one of the things that I think we have to like continuously war against is pietism, and that's like the it's one of the main reasons why uh, uh, I wanted to do this, not just because it was like easier for me to get ready, uh, is because I think because of the culture that we live in and the mindsets and the Christian kind of milieu uh, that we were all raised in to some degree, is that it's all spiritual. It's all about what's on the inside that counts. It's all about like, you know, uh, I believe I'm a Christian, so I'm a Christian. Uh, I said a sinner's prayer, so that makes me a Christian. And has no accounting for like how to gauge your fruit and your effectiveness and your love of Christ, because those are not rooted in reality. Those are just inside my head and my belief system, right? That's the kind of general idea of pietism that everybody in this room grew up in. We have to continually war against. And I think the deeper we get into scripture, 
those begin to flesh out and and everything. But anyways, uh, who is, so, uh, Tony, do you want to read? Uh, Bradbury, you want to read John uh, 15, 1 through 5? Uh, we won't read all those other, John 15, 1 through 5. Um, most people are, like, aware, have heard this, and, uh, you know, we won't read all those other passages. I kind of ended up, uh, or no, we, I'm sorry. Uh, I didn't put a heading on that. Um, we'll come back to those, all those other John passages once I figure out what I was trying to say with them. We're not going to talk about the law of reciprocity. But you No, because we're going to come back to these. Uh, if you just read one through five, that would be... Good enough for now. Okay. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. Um So do we get to I can't even remember what verse it is that uh Oh, uh, read one more, verse 8. Verse 8? Yeah. By this or two verses. All right, so uh, how do you prove to be a disciple? Fruit bearing. Bear fruit. And Jesus gives the formula, abide in me. Uh, what happens when you bear fruit? You get pruned. Guess what? You're getting cut either way. Uh, yeah, so you could bear more, right? Um, and, you know, Genesis 1.11 is the first precedent where God puts into play, like, every seed bears fruit after its own kind. Uh, I usually joke around with people, like, what kind of, if I plant an apple seed, what kind of seeds am I going to get? Orange. What kind of trees? Not an orange tree. Not in this life, right? Like, obviously, you're going to plant and get the same, same fruit, right? It almost feels like a trick question. It is, almost. Um... <laughs> So, like, there's, like, all of, like, these ideas of the kingdom, um, which is why I put up the, I'll put this up, like, every week, the seven institutions of government or the seven spheres of government, because uh, those are, like, you know, just a good chart to look at of how uh, the kingdom of God is going to become rooted in, in reality and how uh, we're going to bear fruit in different realms of the culture, how, as a city of people interacting with one another, uh, how we're going to be witnesses to the lost, how we're going to be witnesses within the church to one another, uh, and uh, worship Christ in these realms. So, it's all about bearing fruit. So, uh, kind of towards that middle of the seven institutions review, Christ's kingdom is bottom-up, the world is always top-down, we are to live as a nation within a nation, city within a city, with Christ reigning as king, and as a people uh, that takes care of their own people, treating others with the same love which with Christ loved us. So this is where, like, uh, you know, um, as far as on the uh, article, the church, community, and its government, and membership commitment, and interacting uh, unity among churches, like all of these, like I'm going to use the same verses like over 
uh, you know, quite a few times to interact with a couple different ideas. So, uh, like First John uh, three thirteen through sixteen, we're going to probably use like every week. Um, you know, John thirteen thirty five, which we'll probably I think we're going to uh, read on this next one. Like uh, taking the same scriptures and then looking at them from a different angle. Um, so the main, uh, I'm going to kind of skip around a little bit. Like, so where do we base Christian community off of? Just throwing it out there. Like, what's our basis for community? The Trinity, right? How so? There are three persons who are um, always seeking to glorify the other one and perfect fellowship without any sin. So that's pretty fun. Yeah. So that's pretty, that sounds like pretty good fellowship. Uh, John, Luke, and I tried to, we fellowship last night, uh, but... Uh, well, uh, you know, there's still uh, some between. So we didn't have perfect fellowship. And then after John Luke left and he was helping me work on some stuff, uh, then we tried it with Josiah. Josiah came over and we had fellowship, uh, but it wasn't quite perfect. There was, Amish quilting there was a lot of the Amish quilting principle and a lot of mistakes in my work in particular, uh, which is what happens when you work at like 2 in the morning on PVC. But... Uh, but like we had good fellowship last night, but it wasn't quite perfect. We even disagreed about some things and didn't have total unity, <laughs> right? So we're getting closer, but we're not quite we're not quite as close as the Trinity yet. Um, so let's go to uh, to Robbie, because like like what I try to help people and show people is like you know we all get that like oh we need to bear fruit and there's visible signs and all this stuff, and uh, we go back to pietism and say, yeah, I know it, uh, but then we don't actually like ever examine ourselves or what that fruit means or how we develop that fruit or what it means if we're not bearing fruit or why we're not bearing fruit. So we all inevitably fall back to pietism. I know it, well, I know this, and I'm not gonna flesh it out further, so. we're going to look at some signs of fruit as far as like being a city within a city, taking care of its people, reigning as close to perfectly uh, under Christ and his, his example uh, within the Father and the Son of unity and love uh, and even submission to one another. So, uh, Robbie, uh, John uh, 13, I want to have you read just like 30... Read 34 and 35. Or, yeah, John 13, 34 and 35. And then, Sydney, you get that next one, 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Yeah, so that's a pretty good proof. If, uh, if you never spoke another word about being a Christian or they didn't see you going to church, if they like instantly knew that you, someone who never met you, like instantly knew you were a Christian by the way you conducted and had love for other people and particularly the body of Christ, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> That's a goal to reach, right? Uh, you even raise the precedent, um, just as I have loved you or in the same manner I have loved you, 
you also are to love one another. Uh, so I guess first and foremost, like, who is Jesus talking to? It's John 13. Say a little bit louder, Deanna. His disciples, where are they? No, not in the Garden of the Gethsemane. Last Supper. Last Supper, in the upper room, right? So he's not talking to the world. He's not talking like a nebulous, like, love everybody. Right? He's saying, love the other disciples. Love other Christians. First and foremost, they're going to know the love you have for me by the love you have for one another. Um, And what that means, right? So what about that uh, uh, 1 John 4, 7 through 12? Now I'll jump down to uh, verse 20, and let's just read, like, that's good fruit. I like hearing about that. I like hearing good things. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, must also love his brother. Yeah. So uh, I talked this over with Deanna. Uh, there's, uh, so First John is all about whose progeny are you? There's a certain term I can't use, which we could talk about privately later. I could tell everybody. <laughs> but I can't publicly use, uh, not for copyrights <laughs> purposes. Uh, but whose who's children are you? What is your, like, First John is all about, like, you bear this fruit, and you say you're a Christian, but you're a liar because you're uh, of your father, the devil. Uh, by this we know that you're of God if you do this, this, and this, Right? Those are rooted in material, quantifiable, real ways. Uh, you can even like gauge yourself in a kind of even nebulous way of, do I continue to seek to love brothers in Christ in real, tangible ways and live in community with them and serve? Serves the hard part because if you go back to John 13, Jesus had just served and washed his disciples' feet, and he's saying... Love others as I have loved you. Like, oh, like I love community when we're going out to, uh, to Steak and Shake or eating. That's like the best part of community. Uh, but Sunday mornings with Sydney and Sam Awante and cleaning toilets isn't as fun. <laughs> it's still a party with those guys there. Uh, uh, but it's like I love other aspects of community but you know you can actually gauge by your fruit of like how much you really love God and how much you really want to be conformed to his ways uh, uh, by his pattern and his example and if you're really walking in real ways of love as Christ did right that, that makes sense uh, you know I actually uh, you know especially on because I'm always trying to get more people to uh, do more things at the church so I don't have to or so it takes stress off of other people uh, besides me like Deanna or whoever um, like you actually like uh, find Christ like when you can encounter Christ in the love of God and experientially know him uh, when you're cleaning toilets and serving that's like some of the best time it really is and I'm not just saying that to uh, like say that um, 
you know, uh, I'm just going to use Josiah as another example. Uh, it was like four weeks ago or something, uh, you know, when we were shoveling the church parking lot or something. Uh, I think it was just you and me. It might have been your brother. It might have been Jonathan. Uh, like, that was a great time. That was, like, super awesome. Like, that was better than going out uh, and partying, you know, on a multitude of levels. Of having that level of friendship and commitment, uh, not just to the church, but, you know, to each other and to service. And uh, having fun with it was, like, super awesome. You guys should all serve <laughs> and experience God more. And, but you really do. You actually do. Um, you know, the more you give of yourself and die to yourself, the more you do experience Christ. Uh, but that's not always shoveling. So, anyways, there's clear mandates for, for fruit and bearing fruit and love in real ways. And if, uh, like John puts it out there, like if you're not doing that, if you say you love your brothers, but you uh, not just inwardly hate them, but outwardly, like you're a liar and you're of your father the devil. So... Thanks, John. <laughs> Ruining my party. No more pietism. So, uh, so our basis in like in you know matrix for community is the Trinity, is the perfect harmony between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Lord God is one. You know John seventeen high priestly prayer. You know which I probably don't hear somewhere uh, down at the bottom or something. I just put some random verses like you know Jesus prays that like that as I and the Father are one, I pray for all other believers that they would be one as we are one, uh, and that the whole world would know them through that, or know the Father through the love for one another, right? So, uh, plus, like, the great things about community are, like, I talked some of these ideas over with Deanna earlier today. I talked a lot of them over with Josiah last night, and some things became more clear. Um, so there's actually, like, uh, I would love to do a Bible study on just various topics that are very, very, or not very, but only exclusive to Christianity. And one of those is that uh, within Christian fellowship and community, uh, or within the worldview of Christianity, that's actually the only true community out there. Every other worldview and paradigm of living and religion um, degrades human life and value and separates mankind uh, on some level. Like, um, so I'll just give the premise for, for the biblical belief, because I think I have it on there first. Um, you know, just uh, Galatians, was that, uh, 6, 9 or something. Uh, there was no longer a Jew or Gentile, slave or free, man or woman, all are one in Christ. There's no distinction right, between man or woman uh, in Christianity. Men aren't more important or worthy of more respect and dignity than women. Uh, babies aren't less valuable to, to God than adults. Neither are the geriatrics, right, uh, or disabled or mentally handicapped. Nobody, uh, all are made in the image of God, right? All have the deposit that God put in them. So that's our basis for community that there's like, you know, like I could like realistically see if I wasn't a Christian and I met Bradbury, uh, that I would like generally hang out with him because I like him, and like we have a lot of the same personalities. Uh, but you know, uh, and maybe Daniel, but probably get old. <laughs> but 
you know. Uh, uh, but like, you know, there might have been something like Josiah and I could get together like on skateboard or something. But like, you know, outside of like Christian fellowship, like I love hanging out with Sydney uh, and conversing with them and hanging out with them and having community. But if I wasn't a Christian, I probably wouldn't hang out with most of you in this room because we're not that alike. Like, I probably want to hang out with Jane. Uh, like, outside of Christian, you know, uh, being a Christian and loving Christ and the unity that we have starting from there and then finding the, the, the likenesses and similarities that we have and reasons for fellowship, like, no, no, like, how many, like, diverse friendships do people in the world have? It's, like, all based on homogeneity for the most part. Um, so every other worldview, like... Uh, you can just run through the major ones, like Islam uh, is a worldview uh, that isn't all, like everyone excludes to some degree, right? But I'm saying for the basis of community, uh, Islam devalues women, right? That's pretty evident. And uh, non-believers of Islam. If you can come to the rational conclusion that uh, uh, you can blow up a building, there's something in the religion uh, that devalues the non-believer, right? <laughs> Hinduism has the caste system. Who knows, like, a little bit about the caste system? Basically, your parents, if, if you're in a caste, your parents stuck there. You cannot move up. You can't necessarily move down. I mean, you can, but you can't move up at all. Yeah, so how do they degrade human life through the caste system? Oh, they, they say they say go ahead, Tony. The higher you are. Yeah, you're actually given more dignity, value, respect with the more wealthy you are, right? Poor people uh, in the caste system are less valuable to the government, are more uh, exchangeable on like a, you know, human value of like not worthy of like uh, life and stuff, like, right? Um, you know, any, uh, any humanistic, secular, or atheist is inherently racist. Um, that certain races will advance because of their beliefs of evolution will advance. Uh, if you believe in evolution, then you believe in superior races. Uh, you have to, and you would devalue those who not. Uh, I actually hear it uh, quite often, at least on social media, from secular humanist evolutionist type thinkers that uh, you know people without the same belief system should be shot and killed and. Obviously, they're, I don't think they're going to go out, all those people are going to go out and shoot and kill someone, but it's clearly in their way of thinking that, you know, if you're not in line with our way of thinking, that your life is less valuable, right? Um, you know, and uh, so, you know, Christianity is the only worldview where we could actually have, like, true harmony, unity, uh, and equality between every single person on earth. And that is only exclusive to the Christian worldview because of based off the community model of the Trinity and the value and respect of human life, uh, which no other uh, worldview even comes close to, right? Like even, um, I took it off, but uh, like even, um, you know, the, the Levitical and... Uh, you know, laws explaining like slavery take care of the slave, that they could gain their freedom, uh, and that they can't be like, you know, uh, physically abused and all these things. It's like, it's, 
you know, uh, where we have had times in American history where people have tried to use scripture to propagate slavery and devaluing of human beings, but that's clearly not the case, right? So, um, some were reluctant. Uh, so think about like the early church culture uh, in the first century. Um, you know, where in Acts 17, talking about those who have uh, Paul and Ephesus have come to uh, Jason's house, and it says, like, they've turned the world upside down, and, you know, just in that direct context is because they're destroying uh, monetarily the temple of Artemis, um, you know, and the idol makers, and Demetrius was the guy that started the riot and everything. Uh, but, like, you know, like, I remember, like, first reading about, like, the first century church that would, like, because uh, this is just, like, a soft spot, for me, would like, you know, in the Roman Empire, uh, they didn't have abortions in the womb. They would have a baby, and if there was a defect uh, or some kind of crippling or they didn't want them, they would throw them out on the street <coughs> to lie there and die. And the Christians were the ones that were going out and rescuing these babies from the streets uh, and bringing them in, right? So think about that in context of like Matthew 5, be uh, the light of the world, the city set on a hill, how those babies of different races and genders and social classes and deformities like come into, into the church uh, to be raised, to be a witness by their good works uh, and welcome them into the community out to the world, right? Like that's pretty crazy to think about. Uh, <laughs> like, uh, like, oh, there's another baby on the street. I guess we're going to have seven children <laughs> instead of six. Uh, let's go get them, right? Um, but not just that, like the, like the England intermingling of races and, you know, different things like in the early church, like completely like countercultural to the world. Like even today, uh, although it's becoming more of a world, you know, accepted view of like inter, interracial marriage, like, but even like in America in the 80s, that was like preposterous. Like that's crazy, uh, you know, like how, like... Like, to put your mind through that, it was pretty, like, crazy to get to that form of thinking. Um, so, uh, does that make sense? Like the, like, the type of community, you know, we all fight the, like, wanting to, like, uh, stay in our own closed, you know, sections of homogeneity and who is most like me and, and everything. Um, but, you know, I think as a biblical mandate and just the ideas, like, we should actually seek to, like, be more and more and more diverse. Like, how much more different, uh, you got something, Daniel? Uh, yeah, I just want to throw it in there. Add in, um, like, another, how we conceive one God, um, which would one God and one person serve towards diversity. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, you know, because... If we're looking at the Trinity as the basis for community, uh, or the matrix for community, other like that's just because that's the truth and reality of it, right? The, the truth of reality of uh, other worldviews. If you don't have, if you got one God and one person, there is no community, and you don't really have a basis for community <laughs> at all, right? Uh, and we'll definitely be getting into like you know different roles uh, within community and within the church next week um, with government. 
uh, but where were we heading? We turned the world upside down. Um, but like, I know we've like, uh, you know, said this in different Bible studies, and we went through a Bible study directly called uh, the Trinity as the Matrix for Community, which you can go back and revisit the podcast, and I can send you the outlines. Uh, but like, uh, like an example, like I would never imagine Bradbury ever buying a house to have Josiah and his brother or Eric move in outside of Christ. That probably wasn't in your ideas, uh, you know, three, four years ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, but like, I think we actually have to like, do have due diligence, like in our own lives of like, you know, actually examining our fruit and saying, you know, as far as diversity, there's no limit to what Christ said of by them, uh, by these, you know, are so proved to be my disciples by bearing fruit. And if you love me as you love one another, others, uh, whatever the John thirteen thirty five, I'm kind of paraphrasing is that like, others will know the love that you have for me by the love you have for one another. Um, like the world like has no real ideas of diversity like if it's forced it's not diversity <laughs> like we we mention this like all the time you know as far as like affirmative action and laws from the top down right seven institutions of government or of society from civil down making laws that say you have to hire these people at least this number of people and you have to do this, and you have to be this diverse, and you have to do this, 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 and this. Uh, and I would say, this is uh, just like a conclusion I get, if our civil government is doing that at a more effective rate for a certain number of hours a day in the realms of authority that they're involved in, and our, our selves, our family, and our churches in, the, you know, in particular, aren't more diverse and more radically committed to community and unity than the government is forcing upon people, then that's shame on us. It really is. And we could have all these ideas of what it means uh, to like spread the love of Christ and nebulous ideas, but until like we actually flesh them out in <coughs> the material world and do them in our lives and our communities, then we're still just reverting back to uh, practical pietism. And we will not be effective, and we will not see the kingdom come. And as we're going to see, uh, you know, in Psalm 133, that like it actually would restrict uh, the blessings and some uh, fellowship from God. So where do we leave off? Jonathan Maddox, uh, why don't you read all of Psalm 133, and then Deanna... First uh, John one three through seven. Yeah, from there the Lord commanded the blessing. Out of unity comes all these things, all these you know from Mount Zion and the dew of Hermon, and from there the Lord is commanding the blessing. How great it is when brothers dwell in unity. Like, I wish I could just get a blessing and not have to deal with people sometimes. <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Uh, I wish that was real. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's not. Uh, 
you know, in this context. All right, Deanna, that first John uh, passage. No, uh, that's probably good. You know, that kind of puts the basis of like, you know, going back to John being all about like, whose progeny are you? These are the practical fruits, and this is how he starts of like having fellowship with one another. If we don't have fellowship and try to think outside, um, the first thing I put on the back, which we'll flip over to you in a minute, is think outside of our modern view of individualistic community uh, to move towards a more holistic biblical approach to community of like, so we have our idea of fellowship and what that means in Western America, but that's not what the Bible means. We're still sitting at like our ideas and you know mental state of uh, community is probably still at like two to three percent in like the most radical uh, fellowships communities in America. Uh, but the Bible wants us to move way past that. So when we hear fellowship and have fellowship with one another. You know, I instantly go to, oh, I hung out with John Luke last night. He helped me work. Just I helped me work. That, that was a form of fellowship. That was great. But that's not the idea, or that's not the whole idea of what Scripture is pointing to, right? It was obviously like walking in the light. Like I didn't, uh, like, like John Luke and I were just like having fun and putting some stuff together. Like I wasn't uh, necessarily hiding anything in the darkness either, but we were just like hanging out. But those are our most views of fellowship, right? Um, Daniel, go ahead and read that, because uh, I've mentioned it quite a few times, but we haven't read it, that John 17, 20 to 23. Yeah, that's a pretty amazing uh, prayer from Christ himself of that, uh, that, that the believers would be one as me, Jesus and the Father are one, and that the world would know that I've loved them because of the love they have for one another. Like until the fruit is that everyone on the outside knows how much you love God because of how much you love other Christians, uh, I would say particularly particularly those within your uh, local church, uh, first and foremost, and then those uh, in other local churches and you know those who you can interact with you know regularly then we're not quite there. Until the world is, like as we read, uh, I think last week, you know, from Isaiah 2, until the world is like knocking on our door saying, teach us because from you go the law, then we haven't quite reached the biblical uh, standard of community, right? And I don't think we're there yet. Uh, A guy did come knocking on my door, but he didn't want, he, he just wanted money. But that's part of living in, living in East Staten. Uh, so all of this first page is like, so that's all theory. That was just like all just laying the theory and uh, theology backgrounds or basis and introduction to that. So if we flip on to the other side, we're going to get into some like practical things, um, which is going to be a little scary. Because uh, there's some stuff that really just, if you read it and you understand, especially what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 6, you're like, oh crap, uh, I've got to redo uh, all of life and church structure and I need to repent. And that involves dying to yourself. So, all right. Um, 
Who are we at? Uh, Austin, why don't you read Colossians 3, 12 through 16, and then uh, Jonathan get 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 11 ready. Yeah, so don't hold bitterness and grudges, uh, which I love to do. Uh, so I guess I got to repent and stop. Uh, and when someone wrongs me, I guess I'm going to have to forgive them uh, based on the fact that Christ forgave me, <laughs> right? And if Christ isn't going to hold it against me, I'm not going to physically withhold it from others, right? Um, so... Uh, who wants to give a little context to uh, the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians about why Paul's writing to them? And uh, maybe someone can skim chapter 5 and give us an overview. Just like maybe some headings in the ESV or something. It is because they're quite literally uh, the worst. Uh, but who knows like what 1 Corinthians is all about? Yeah. What kind of what kind of parties? Oh, alcoholic orgies, like you know the, the, yeah. the simple fast. Yeah. It's That's like you know, if we say like help grow up in Christ, that sounds like Paul was like really encouraging and docile and come on guys, you can do it. But that's not really the uh that's not really the spirit behind First Corinthians, is it? Paul's like, Oh geez, like get your act together, guys. Right? Yeah. Right. Like what's so uh you know, if anyone's taking notes, 1 Corinthians 6 comes right after 1 Corinthians 5. Uh, so somebody skim, like, the titles. If you got, like, an ESV or, or a Bible that has, like, little titles in it, what is sexual immorality Immorality uh, in the church, right? He tells, Paul tells him, like, I heard there was, like, a form of sexual immorality that even isn't lawful or heard of among the pagan unbelievers. <laughs> what is wrong with you guys? A lot. Like, what are you doing? You know, uh, later in that 1 Corinthians 11, is like, you know, you guys are coming to the Lord's Supper drunk. You guys are coming to your, you know, what they called love feast, uh, you know, the Sunday gatherings, and like drunk. Like, I've only come to church drunk a couple times, but they were doing it regularly. <laughs> You know, but that was in the past time. Bradbury's uh, first time he came to church, he was drunk. What? That's why. That's why he stayed. Uh, and it's only been a couple times. <laughs> uh, but like, this is the state of like the so so when we read First Corinthians six, like this isn't like a little issue for Paul to write about. Think about like Paul just talked about like what are you doing? You you had sexual relations with your stepmom. Like, that's what Paul just addressed. So, uh, as we read 1 Corinthians 6, 1 through 11, this isn't a light issue. This is coming right after this. Paul's not, like, switching gears and saying, well, let's talk about something light. Uh, let's, get our, let's, get, let's get off topic on here, because that was weird. Uh, no, he's, like, he's hitting hard issues again. He's saying, what are you doing? Uh, so, Jonathan, go ahead. Does any of you... Yeah. So Paul is just addressing, don't have sex with your stepmom. You're Christians. Don't live in sexual immorality. What are you doing? And then the next biggest issue in Paul's mind, 
that he is writing by the Holy Spirit, is, and you guys have, like, quarrels and fights among you, and you're going to unbelievers. <laughs> what is wrong with you? Like, if, so, uh, I remember reading this, and I was just like, the first time I read this, and I was like, what are we doing, Lord? Like, I think I wept for, like, six days or something. Uh, like, if you really get what Paul's saying in the context of, like, community, and, like, why would you ever go between another brother or sister in Christ before a court of law and what's his like response of like so I kind of want to run through uh, the seven institutions here in a minute um, about how he addresses that but he's like why not like rather just be defrauded because that would be better than you going to court and standing in front of unbelievers and them having known that you're Christians and that you guys are fighting and that you can't even work it out amongst yourselves, so you have to come to the unrighteous, ungodly civil government, which is always unrighteous and ungodly. <laughs> Side note. <laughs> or personal preference. Uh, <laughs> whichever. Right? Like, that's a huge issue for Paul. He puts that right next to sexual immorality. Uh, but is that everybody's first thought of, like, you know... Uh, Somebody, like, I don't even know what doesn't name any lawsuits. Uh, you know, if someone defrauded you or, you know, those other, like, people within your specific church, I, I doubt there's anybody in this room that, like, actually has been to court with someone else uh, in their church that I know of. Uh, although, <laughs> it's, although it's possible because most of us go to GCF and... Uh, <laughs> And that's like our idea, and like we're like we want to go to the court for a lot of things, uh, or at least I want it. Um, that's what I was thinking about. Right. Hopefully that would not get to that point. Right. But I'm just saying, like within the church. Yeah. Well, they're both Christians showing fruit, and uh, it's not an abusive relationship. There's. Uh, hope for reconciliation and that that could work out and that would obviously be better for the kids mm -hmm. and obviously like in the far as being defrauded like uh, if there was like a huge quarrel between a husband and a wife I would hope that to save the marriage that uh, the one person could you know in a sense be defrauded mm -hmm. uh, and not live out their <laughs> fleshly desires to to benefit uh, not just the church or the Christian community but their family right so, uh, but like, I don't know what kind of, obviously divorce, there's a bunch of divorce in the church. Uh, there's tons of like lawsuits and quarreling between, you know, unbelievers. And like, that's Paul's biggest thing is like, like you don't have one wise person that can settle this. Like Moses, like what he did for the Israelites. And I'll just for marriage or not. Yeah, because it, it would have to be uh, in our modern era decided through the, the courts. Um, like, literally. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so let's run through this, like, how Paul's argument goes in this 1 Corinthians 6. Because this is, like, pretty wild if you, like, get a hold of this, like, this idea of community and unity uh, and the spheres of government. Right? So he says... Uh, yeah, uh, if you go down here to the left, uh, about like 100 feet, there's a uh, men's restroom. Welcome. Um, so if you have a grievance against one another, uh, somebody look that up. Like, I don't know. It says grievance and lawsuit. 
look that up in a couple of translations or the Greek. Like, what does grievance mean? Um, so between one another, where's that at? One person and one person. There's a grievance. What, what level of, of institution or government is this? It's two selves, right? Mm-hmm. Right? So why do you go? Uh, how dare you go to the law? Where is that? The top. The top. What is it? Civil. Civil government, right? So two people, two selves. Why do you jump in to the civil government, to the top? Why do you go that far, right? Um, or do you not know that we're going to judge the world? Uh, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Um, let's see what I'm looking for here. Uh, can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? Where is that? No one among you wise enough to settle a dispute. Family or church? Yeah, family or church, right? Uh, it's not talking about is there nobody in your place of business or work, right? He's saying that there should be somebody wise enough that can dispute this, right? Um, so explain a little bit about uh, Moses and like disputing cases. So basically, he was kind of like, but like Moses decided on that for him because they didn't know where else to go. Yeah, this was uh, enacted at the time of uh, Israel sojourning in the desert, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it's a very real possibility that they could have decided to dispute outside of Israel. (laughs) They probably would have had to travel uh, back to Egypt uh, or to one of the surrounding countries or gone uh, as a sojourner into Canaan. Uh, But, like, the precedent is still being made that, like, you know, over God's people, over Israel, God's elect, that, like, there would be, uh, you know, leaders that, like, are, have some form of God's law, God's word, and a spirit of wisdom that can decide cases. And Moses was getting overbearing by it, so he appointed 70 elders over tribes and people to settle disputes. Because uh, what happens when you get two people together? There's a dispute. <laughs> Josiah and I had like, uh, we sat down and chilled out after we worked for a little bit, and it was not three minutes before we had a theological dispute to discuss. <laughs> and <laughs> so, it, uh, you know, it doesn't take long before you get like two people together before there's a dispute, right? So, uh, is that like everybody's like mindset of like you know when there's a dispute or something's going on, or you know there's two people that are Christians that like oh we should probably go to the, the church and find someone wise enough or an elder or a shepherd to uh, help us settle this because we're not settling it ourselves, right? Is that like everyone's like first set of mind? I don't think so. It's not mine. Uh, I usually just want to get even or something. But it's within the Christians, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think the ideas are out there and, uh, you know, it's not completely barren of that in Western Christianity, but uh, it's not prominent. Like, Christians aren't getting a good name because they're holding their own courts and uh, settling their own disputes, and Christians aren't known for that yet. So there's still work to be done, right? So we went from two selves 
up to civil. Uh, that was no good, that Paul says. Back to the family or church. And then um, he makes the case in verse 7, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. <laughs> the fact that you guys aren't like actually living in unity uh, is indicative and that there's lawsuits and grievances. Uh, did anybody figure out what those Greek words are in different yeah. translations? The Greek word uh, is pragma, and in the King James, it's a matter. Um, I forget what it was in Nasby, but it's like a matter, an affair, a case. Yeah, Nasby was case. So it's kind of it's kind of vague and negative. Like it could be a legal term, more like okay, like a dispute. Yeah. So he's saying that like you know there's uh, the fact that you guys are disputing and you're not living in unity is bearing fruit that there's something internally wrong and that's already uh, a defeat for you. <laughs> like, guess what? Before you guys even got to the courts, like, you thought you thought that was bad enough, but the like, why are you guys even fighting? <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, Paul, come on, man, why so serious? <laughs> like, can't I just like fight with people all the time? Yeah, one uh, a complaint. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I guess lawsuits kind of thinks of like in our modern American version or modern American culture of like like lawsuits, like somebody stole from me or they defrauded me of money from payment. Uh, I'd have to do more research, but I'm pretty sure that like in uh, in colonized Rome in the first century that they would have courts of laws that would just dispute various matters that weren't necessarily monetary. Like Dr. Hill, if he was a judge? Uh, sort of, maybe. Or like, uh, you know, Solomon, uh, you know, when the two women came and like, that's my baby, no, that's my baby. That's more like a Maury show right there, yeah. right? Uh, but anyways, so then he says, uh, what is like the most, like, even more of a slap in the face, uh, why not be defrauded? So what, what sphere of, of government or authority does that fall back to? Self. Self, right? If someone has a complaint against you, and even if it's valid to, you know, and if it's not, I would, you know, there's certain, like, wisdom and stipulation behind it. Like, it's not like, Daniel keeps, like, punching me. <laughs> Like, I've got this complaint against him. Like, that's probably, like, a real thing that, like, he should stop. I shouldn't just continue to be punched and defrauded. Uh, right? Uh, you know, but, but it, Paul's making the case, like, why not, you know, just take it upon yourself and forgive the person and let the lawsuit or the complaint go and move on and continue for the sake of unity and die to yourself and your selfish wants and gains and not complain, not live in disunity, <laughs> right? Like, oh, that's a little bit more like, you know, serious and, uh, you know, something I could, you could take onto your own hands like right now and do uh, and how the kingdom becomes like visible and like, in like this form of unity like, I've always been amazed by this First Corinthians 6. I'm like, man, why is it, like, sure, no sexual immorality. Fine. <laughs> like, 
uh, yeah, that makes sense. But, you know, the whole idea of like, you know, not complaining and living in unity and having judges that can try trivial cases and forgiving the person. I'm like, oh, like that's so much harder. <laughs> like that's so much actually more serious than like sexual immorality uh, in a lot of areas, right? So, uh, all right, now let's jump to 1 Corinthians 11. Jane, read uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 17 through 21. Man, Corinthians, come on, get your act together. <laughs> All right. Like, so what is, uh, what are three names of the covenant symbol that we take on Sundays with bread and wine? The Eucharist, which means Thanksgiving, the Lord's Supper, and communion. So I'm just going to focus specifically on, uh, like, the Lord's Supper and communion. Like, what are those uh, symbolizing and meaning, and why would you get to, why would you do that together? Um, it's a covenant reenactment of the kind of showing that we're all one body under his blood. Yeah, and we take it in unison, right? It's everything we talked about on the front page, wrapped up in a covenant symbol, right, for and plus more, right? Can you take communion separate out of community? Because that's literally part of it. Like community, <laughs> then, community. Right, it's like, it's like uh, can you do math without numbers? Uh, yes. 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 Algebra. I think you still need numbers. Yeah, you do. Okay, can you do, can you do geometry without shapes? Don't even tell me you can do that. <laughs> uh, right? Uh, so, uh, like, Paul's got, like, more stuff. He's bringing against the Corinthian church. More, like, the whole idea is that they're not acting in unity. They're not doing, like, they're taking the Lord's Supper. They're taking communion. Uh, like, exactly in the opposite way you should take it. <laughs> like, disjointed not in unity, not together, leaving the needs of others behind uh, for your own gain. You're coming drunk. Uh, he's like, can't you guys eat at home? Like Jerry Springer, if his show came to a wedding feast and like just ruined everything. Yeah, it's like Jerry Springer in, in Corinth. Uh, the garbage TV. It's like, but so he's obviously calling them to like, you know, he's making corrections and calling them to back to the unity that they're supposed to have. So, uh, you know, um, that Galatians 6.10, like, uh, is pretty much paraphrasing, do good to everyone, but especially to the household of faith. Like, what I want everyone to, like, think about, and I'm calling everybody to, is, like, higher forms of community. And that necessarily means sacrificial love, Sacrificial service, uh, building one another up, like loving in real ways, uh, and rereading and rereading and reexamining all of Scripture to see the biblical patterns and how community is called to actually form and operate. And when we get closer to that, 
like we're going to have like more like actual events not just in i'm not saying just in this church or in dayton i'm talking about like worldwide as we restore the biblical patterns of community like the nations will stream to the church to understand how they do their way of life based on because the law and the word is coming forth from us and we're doing it right that's isaiah 2 micah 4 uh and so many other places habakkuk 2 14 um and whatnot uh matthew 5 uh being salt and light so this is just like the introductory things like there's i put other stuff down there like these proverbs and ecclesiastes um actually if you're coming on thursday like just to get uh you know one of the funnest things i like to do uh in my own reading and when i meet with other people is to like examine like a passage and say like what does this come to mind like you know reading with someone and say what does that make you think of uh and then examining how close their ideas are to like what that means biblically versus what that means in our culture today right so our forms all i want to open up like and designed you know this bible study tonight was like to open up that and make the case that like our forms and ideas of community are probably still more based on the world's standards, the world's ethics, the world's way of doing things, and we need to continue to search and enact out and find real ways uh, for the kingdom of God to become visible in community. Uh, but if you come on Thursday, we're gonna, this is just a plug for Thursday, uh, we're gonna do that in a way of like, you know, because um, like these Proverbs 17 is like something about friendship. I can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, and Ecclesiastes is all about like you know friendship and community and but like our ideas of friendship are like <laughs> like BFF like I'm gonna share a meme post with you <laughs> or something uh, but uh, you know Abraham we're gonna go over Genesis 18 where uh, Abraham is being a friend of God and has nothing to do with friendship in our modern sense uh, we're gonna reexamine biblically what friendship looks like. Uh, we should look at Jonathan and David. Jonathan and David's a good one. I was gonna. Oh, I didn't. I think I talked to someone else about that. Uh, the ideas of like you know community with uh, uh, you know Jonathan and David is like one of my favorite examples, uh, especially because I also want to do by the end of the semester. I don't know what I'm going to title it. Uh, Deanne's going to help me with the wording of parents. They're like your biggest blessing, but they hold you back. <laughs> that's, I don't know how to word it appropriately and respectfully yet. So that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> uh, and multiple examples of that. Uh, but maybe we'll get that, that by the end of the semester. It depends on how long uh, the kingdom of God becoming visible takes us and how many weeks we'll have left. So... Hope that was helpful. Somebody want to close us in prayer?